Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hahn. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. Today, we're going to be celebrating the start of the Major League Baseball season with an episode we call Hit or Miss. And be sure to follow the show on social media at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hum. Plus, check out our 17 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Any hope for uh, for your Blue Jays this year or are we, we suffering? We are going all the way this year for sure. Yeah. I'm not saying that about my Rangers. I have no such hope, uh, but uh, you know, it, it, it might be disappointment early, which is always good for me rather than late. Like, you know, my dolphins in football, they, they always disappoint me late. The Rangers have only done it twice, but uh, <laughs> anyway, well, we fun. are so, we are so early that hope springs eternal right now, right? Everyone's got a chance. That's what they say. I don't know if that's true though. <laughs> Well, today's episode should be fun. I mean, we always have a lot of fun doing these hit or miss episodes. So I'm looking forward to getting your opinion on a few things here, John. And let's get started with the first one. What do you think about large language models like um, ChatGPT, Google's Bard, uh, maybe some of the smaller ones like Doximity even? Is that a hit or a miss in healthcare? I would say that this is kind of like Shohei Otani, that he's going to pitch a shutout inning shut out game and then he's gonna hit a grand slam in the game where he's pitching a shutout like that's what this feels like to me the large language models like it is going to transform so many things and here's how i know it was a huge thing i was talking with my mother last night who is a retired teacher who still helps out in the classroom and I was like, mom, this is going to change so many things. She's like, no, I like my paper and I like my, <laughs> and I'm like, no, mom, imagine you wanted to create a customized quiz that's customized to the individual student. That's harder for some easier for others. You could just ask it to do it. And it's like the fact that it's so impactful across so many areas is where it's eye-opening. And it's it opened the eyes of so many people in healthcare to say, oh, AI could be something that could benefit my solution, whether they're a software vendor, whether they're a provider organization. So Grand Slam, uh, no hit, shut out. Uh, you know, that's what this is. <laughs> wow, you are quite positive on that then. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of a little bit tempered. I, to me, it, it's a double right now, uh, not a grand slam. Um, okay. I do think, in the general sense, and, and for public, it is totally a grand slam. Like it's opened the eyes, as you said, and and inspired a lot of people to go, oh wow, like so much is possible with um, large language models and ChatGPT. But in healthcare, I'm not sure what the implementation is going to be like yet. I mean, I think it would, it would be interesting to see someone point a large language model at an EHR uh, or at a, a collection of data, maybe if at a payer. Haven't seen anything written about that yet. I think there's a lot of theory. I think I think we can imagine what might be possible. So I'm only giving it a double only because I just haven't seen any evidence of it being used effectively other than to write a few letters or, you know, do some of the things that people have been experimenting with. But um, there's obviously, uh, you know, with ChatGPT in particular, obviously some privacy concerns, right, <laughs> about using that for uh, medical uh, information and clinical information in there. But I do think maybe a year from now, I'll maybe agree with you that it's a grand slam. 
<laughs> well, Italy just banned it, so you're right. Like that, that's going to be interesting too, from a policy and regulation standpoint. But I, I feel like that genie's out of the bottle. Like, good luck with that. I, that. That's a losing situation. The question is, how do I enable it? What are the guardrails that I should consider, uh, which are legitimate, especially in healthcare and how you're using it, and and. You know, in that same conversation with my mom, we kept talking about it and we're like, well, you could, you know, she's like, well, it's such so hard healthcare. You have to schedule How's it going to know the insurance and how's it going to know what time's available and all that. And I'm like, yeah, that, that is fair. There are holes in the data right now. But will there be holes in the data two years from now, three years from now? No, that data is going to be made available so that then you could say, hey, I need you to schedule an appointment for me with a radiologist in the next three weeks. 8 a.m. is best for me on Wednesdays. And I want to make sure that they take the insurance of Aetna. <laughs> and then it's going to be able to say, here's your five options. Would you like to schedule it? Like that is just mind blowing. And it's mind-blowing, not just because it's possible, but because you look at the technology and you're like, yeah, actually we could do that. Like, it's not, it's, it's not so mind-blowing that you're like, that's a stretch. We have to solve these three problems before we do it. No, all of the problems are solvable. Yeah, no, I think it's going to make a huge leaps in research and uh, literature searches. Uh, that's kind of the stuff you're talking about in terms of patient experience. You know, I, th I think where we run into danger, of course, is thinking that this could be the clinical uh, AI, right, where it could diagnose. Um, I, th I think it is, remains to be seen because, of course, it's only based on um, these huge uh, databases of literature. And when you're talking about cutting edge uh, treatments or cutting edge diseases, but there's very little literature on that, right? So there's a danger to say, well, you know, basically it's just going to tell you what has already been written about, but that may not be the most applicable given the current situation. So I think it'll be interesting to see how healthcare deals with that, right? That that sort of difference between the, the, the two uh, data sets. But I do agree. I think a year from now, I'll be agreeing with you that this is going to be a grand slam. <laughs> well, and there's interesting companies like I just did an interview with Atropos Health uh, that's looking at how do we solve some of those things where there isn't the medical insight that's needed to solve the problem that you're looking, right? Because chat GPT can't solve problems it doesn't have data for, right? Which, which is a fair, you know, a reasonable uh, approach to understanding like, okay, it can't do everything, right? Uh, and so it is important to understand what it can do well and what it can't. But here's the best indication that it's a grand slam. Epic's looking at using it. And from what I've heard from reports online, it's they're looking at it across multiple avenues, right? The obvious ones are things like letters and things like that, that, you know, help facilitate the doctor writing a letter to the patient and think, you know, those are easy. But from what I understand, they're talking with multiple teams about how do we integrate this? And obviously they're, they're working with partners like Nuance with DAX and, and, and DAX is now going to integrate ChatGPT because they're owned by Microsoft, you know, into their uh, DAX Express product, which they just announced. And you can find details on Healthcare IT Today about that as well. So, you know, it's going to be integrated in a really deep level in a lot of these things. But what's interesting is how many people will know it's ChatGPT? Or will they just think it's the interface of that software vendor? That will be fun to watch too. Yeah, definitely if it's buried behind. And, you know, other companies too are looking at adopting this into the RCM processes, right? I know that uh, some companies are looking at doing that. So it, it'll be very interesting to see. I, I think it, like everything else, it'll nip at the edges and then quickly get to the middle. <laughs> um, I just think it, all it'll take is a couple of little use cases where people go, oh, I totally see that less now. And then you'll see the gold, the rush of people trying to implement it. 
Well, and one other thing on this, uh, since it's such a hot topic, is you know, ChatGPT is huge, right? Google Bard's huge. You know, Microsoft has another option too. You know, but then there's these other large language models that people are doing and applying to very specific use cases, like Doximity's done it with some of the letters and different things that they're doing. And, and that's, you know, I know patients are using it, right? Doctors are using it. And so I, I, we're going to see hundreds of, of these large language models focused on very specific areas. And that's going to be fascinating to watch as well. Totally agree with you, John. Totally agree with you. Let's get to the next one. I'm very curious to hear your opinion on this. Amazon Care, hit or miss? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define a hit. And that's the problem for Amazon. And it's the problem for most big tech companies in, in healthcare is that for them to have a hit, it needs to be a big hit, right? <laughs> so if it was a startup company, I'd say it's going to do great. Like they have the resources, they'll do it. I mean, we, we recently saw that Amazon integrated Amazon Care into the homepage and the menu bar, which that is huge. Like just think about what that, how many startups would love to have that, you know, the traffic of Amazon and all these people that are, you know, buying stuff and be like, Amazon care. What's that? That sounds great. You know? So I, I, you know, I think in that regard, I think it, you know, compared to a startup company, it's going to be a huge hit, but I am not buying it as a hit for Amazon itself. I just don't see that being that interesting. I'm not sure, you know, do we integrate it with prime and now I get some free virtual visits. I don't, I just don't see that model going well. Now, as you know from previous episodes, I'm huge on Amazon being successful in healthcare, but I think it's going to be more of the supply chain side. Of course, it's going to be on the AWS side, all of those, you know, infrastructure side, even the AI side. I won't be surprised if Amazon comes out with their own, you know, large language model chat GPT competitor. You know, that that those types of things could be really interesting. But Amazon Care itself and going direct to consumer with that type of stuff not buying it i'd say that's a miss wow we're going to disagree on this one i think it's going to be a hit although i do i will acknowledge maybe it's a contested home run right maybe <laughs> maybe it did bounce off the top of the wall or something yeah they're gonna to have to go to video replay to go to the video replay. <laughs> and the, the reason is two reasons one i think uh, you know we, we've seen other organizations try to get into the healthcare business and with some degrees of success, right? Like CVS, uh, Walgreens and so forth, where it made total sense um, to have that. But I, you know, it's not like we're seeing lineups at uh, Walgreens and, and, and CVS for their appointments. Uh, and so I think the, what I'm saying is that the bar is pretty low. <laughs> and so uh, I think Amazon Care is in, given in the context of others and what they have done. I think Amazon Care is going to be a hit. I just think given the power and given the reach of Amazon it is in how they've integrated, how they're going to integrate it with everything. I just think people are going to adopt it and they're going to use it. And I do see people going, Oh, you know what? I, if I can get a discounted telehealth uh, appointment with a doc that they're going to match me with through the Amazon program. And Oh, by the way, I can just get everything fulfilled with once the script is done right through it. I think it's going to be a hit. Yeah, I mean, the best I could offer is maybe a sack fly, you know, it's going to move them over a base so that they can understand better what healthcare needs and what its desires are and understand that model. So it might be a sack fly, I might give it that I don't think there's a run scoring, though, it might just be moving them from second to third. So you know, to me, you're right, though, when you think about Amazon owns Whole Foods as well. 
and it, you know, is Whole Foods doing the same type of strategy as the Walmarts and Dollar Generals and CVS and Walgreens? And is there anyone not doing it in the supermarket? And Smiths isn't Kroger, right? I, I don't know. It's fascinating, but like they have that asset where they could leverage it, and they have the tech chops. So maybe, but I think they're going to tire of it, and you know, it, it might be the end of the inning before they score that run. I, you know, I do think I agree with you. You know, it's questionable whether they're going to make money at this, uh, but uh, I think, well, but I think they don't necessarily um, have to make money like CVS doesn't have to make money on the appointment itself, right? Like it, it, the visit itself may not be the extreme money maker. I think if they can break even, yeah, exactly. I think it's on the logistics, the, the supply, all those things that you talked about were the supply chain of Amazon, right? So uh, for that reason, I think it is going to be a hit for for them. And I think it's going to be a hit for customers. I think people are going to really love the convenience of being able to just click and do things um, where, you know, that's a little bit harder to do right now with your traditional um, traditional uh, uh, primary care um, uh, folks. So anyway, I, I think it's definitely going to be a, a big hit for Amazon and a big hit for customers. I think it's a big hit for the patients too, right? Because you know, I remember this back when I was buying servers and desktops and Dell was like, hey, whether you buy with us or not, we're going to lower the cost for you because we provide a really quality product at a low cost. And Amazon's going to do that for a lot of the care. You know, whether you buy Amazon care or not, you go there. It's going to push everyone else to do better and provide a better product, a better experience. So is it a win for patients? Yeah, I'd say it's a hit for patients and, and consumers. But uh, yeah, it'd be fun to watch. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to this episode of Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Today, we're doing one of our classic hit or miss episodes. So John, let me go to the next one now. Uh, very curious to hear your opinion on this one. EHR APIs, hit or miss? So I'm giving it a reluctant hit, you know, might just be a single right now, right? It could be a home run if they did it the right way, but, you know, it's been a single. And the reality is that you can integrate with these EHR vendors, which is a big win for most uh, startup companies, most provider organizations that need to get access to the data. They need the solution integrated into their workflow. They need the data to drive some behavior with whoever they're working with. So I say they're a big hit, uh, you know, as far as that we can actually do a lot of things with it that we couldn't have done before. And they've enabled a bunch of workflows that are powerful for other organizations. Now, it is challenging. They should do a lot more. Should they be three or four times as big as they are as far as what they can do in integration? Should they be four or five times easier than they are to integrate with? Should there be some more standardization across them so that you don't have to integrate a zillion times, even within the same EHR, because they're different versions and et cetera, things like that. Are those problems? Yeah. Are there challenges? Are there ways they could make it so much better? Yes. That's why it's just a single. But the fact that we can do it, and I actually think there's a lot more happening on the back end with some of these vendors, like Epic and you know other ones, Cerner. <laughs> I think they're doing partnerships where they're saying, hey, maybe this isn't the full-blown API, but I know we need to integrate. So 
let's give them an SDK and let's, let's work with them and integrate it deeply and, and expand it. So I think some of that's happening and maybe, you know, it's a little bit on the down low, uh, you know, as opposed to the public stuff that we sometimes see uh, because they are being particular about who they integrate with, which I think is actually a miss. I think they should open up, you know, pretty transparently, but uh, you know, I think they're, they're worried about how their data is being used, the integrity of the data within the system. And so they're being cautious that way, I think, which is understandable, but uh, unfortunate. <laughs> so I will give this one a hard foul. Um, so <laughs> what I mean by that is I think um, everyone has really good intention. And I think conceptually we should be hitting home runs here with the EHR APIs. And I think people talk that game. Uh, but I think, I think, unfortunately, the execution is a miss. Like, it's just not there. I, you know, just given, you know, first of all, we don't have any standardization. I know there's fire. I know there's all these things. But, you know, that's a bit of a, a mess in terms of which standard people want and how they've implemented it. Every company has their own method of doing things. There are some APIs that exist. And I think there are some companies that are making some progress. And so I think individually, as you look at each company, you might be able to say, okay, they have a double, they have a single. I think there's movement for sure, but I think if you just look at it overall, I don't think we're anywhere close to where we were hoping to be when all of this movement started a couple of years ago. Uh, I just think there are some pockets and maybe some partnerships, but in general, the API availability at EHR just hasn't been executed very well. I think they're there. I think they exist. I just don't think they've executed well at all. Yeah, and I guess an argument against my 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 initial take is that uh, you look how many companies there are that do interoperability, that do integration engines, that do all of these things. Like, if, if I don't know, I could be wrong, but the EHR vendors, if they had high quality APIs that could write both directions, most of those companies either wouldn't exist or they would look dramatically different because you probably would still need a company that can do it across 50 EHRs, but they would know how to do it across it. And they'd provide a very different solution than they do today. Many of those companies sell on the fact that it is hard to integrate across all of these EHR vendors, versions, et cetera. So, uh, you know, but yeah, that is an illustration that they could do better. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's why I give it a, a hard foul, right? Like I think intention is there, you know, you're swinging for the fences, but, and, but they just haven't executed, but they just haven't done it yet. I, but, you know, I'm hopeful that this year brings some more uh, movement, right? Because, you know, I think we're starting to see that, Hey, when you do open up, when you do make these available, good things can happen with you and your partners and your customers, they really want this. So I, I think we'll get there. I just don't think right now um, it's, it's a hit. I just think we're still all over the place. <laughs> Well, they're all going to be screwed with information blocking, right? They're going to get lots of reports and violations. I mean, we haven't seen the the consequences, the penalties come down for it, but we're going to. So that will be interesting to see and watch is if will the penalties for information blocking and not having these APIs, will that finally move them forward in, a, in an interesting way? We'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see indeed. Let's get to the last one here, uh, John. Hit or miss? Healthcare in-person conferences. Well, I think uh, I think the uh, feet have spoken, and this is a hit. This is at least a triple. Uh, you know, I, I had someone email me or chemist uh, email or tweet. They offered a virtual conference, and the cost to attend was like 
uh, four or 500 bucks. And I thought to myself, is anyone going to pay this? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I don't think so right this i think virtual conferences were fine for covid because that's what we had to do and so we made do right uh but we saw the limitations and we saw that it was great for education if you just need a ceu fine that can work fine and that that you know we've seen a lot of companies actually use ceus to drive a lot of virtual engagement and create communities and, and that's powerful and interesting but that is not why people go to conferences, <laughs> you know, like we, we've realized it's the networking, it's the connection, it's the talking to your partners, it's the sitting down and being able to have face-to-face -face with product teams. It's, you know, it's sitting around with peers, you know, and having to drink in a casual environment where you maybe share a little more than you would otherwise, right? And creating that trust that happens as you spend an evening together, right? Or, you know, you're on the dance floor, you get to know them differently than you do you know in a virtual world and you know as many people tried to do virtual dancing and virtual drinks uh didn't quite work the same way right it's not the same shared experience so when i look at them i do think that the healthcare conferences need to be focused right and there's going to be a few boat shows for sure but beyond that i think it needs to be focused on the right communities and providing the value to those communities so i think some will fall off because budgets are stretched right now with uh, provider organizations, so they have to justify why they're going to a conference. But are they going to not go to in-person conferences? The answer is no, they enjoy it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely give this one uh, a big hit, uh, triple, I think, just like you said. I think a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, I think with the whole work at home movement that's happened, I think now all of us are realizing how much we really need and crave uh, human interaction. So if you're working for a company, especially a health IT one, I think conferences um, definitely are something that you want to go back to and and uh, and and take advantage of. Um, I do think there's a budget concern where there's some people that just can't go, but I just going to the conferences, John, I mean, you just get that feeling where people go like, oh, I'm so grateful to be here. It's so awesome to reconnect with everybody. I mean, I just get that feeling now in spades whenever we go to these, uh, go to these conferences. So I definitely think they're back. Uh, I agree with you. They have to be a bit more focused though. I think people are now really uh, starting to, to really ask what value am I getting? from coming in person. And uh, as long as that is a, uh, you know, positive, I think it'll be, it'll be good. But I think conferences are going to have to work harder at generating that value. Yeah, Nadine Peaver uh, tweeted a reply to something I tweeted. She said, I love the idea of talking about addressing burnout at a conference and then spending 18 hours of your days talking to people for three days straight. <laughs> so there is an element. I don't think people go quite as hard as Nadine. She she uh, she, she works so hard, it, I, we do too. So we relate to Nadine. Uh, yeah, some people are only at the eight to 12 hour range, I guess. But uh, you know, it is interesting, the, the irony of some of it, right? Uh, in-person conferences, but I actually think they're going to continue to improve and they're going to continue to target it. The bar has been raised for a lot of organizations uh, that are organizing conferences to create it as an amazing experience that they're going to remember. Uh, but at the end of the day, it really, for me, is about the right people connecting to the right people and, and being able to do that at a conference where you can meet with 20 customers, potential customers and or clients and or partners like that is powerful and people underestimate how valuable that is. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think the, it's I think it's evolving. 
I think uh, definitely in-person conferences are evolving, which is fantastic to see. It's no longer just uh, the lecture style, breakout style type conferences. Obviously, we still have a few of those, but I think everyone is starting to experiment. I think because of what happened virtually with with other ways to connect people together, more networking events, more, uh, you know, where it's one-on-one -on -one type meetings that maybe are pre-arranged. All these things I think people are now willing to experiment with because you're right. I think people are after more than just the educational experience, right? They want the whole conference to be a wonderful experience and they really want to connect with their peers. So I think conferences that smartly tune into that are going to be the ones that are successful going forward. Yeah. And I think it's also understanding the intent of the attendee and what are the needs of the attendee. Uh, you know, ironically, that's what we tell health IT companies. As well. <laughs> that's right. The, needs of the provider organizations, the same is true for conferences, right? What are the needs of the attendees? And, and, and to be fair, it's a wide variety of needs, right? And it's different depending on the different personas attending the conference. And, and I think a lot of people underestimate that, like how much you know business development partnerships happen at conferences that is really valuable and pushes the needle forward for specific companies or organizations. And you know, and then also to your point, it's such a good one. I have to repeat it: is we're all working from home. And now that, that chance to get away for four days, get out of our home, meet colleagues that we've never met in person, right? Like that adds a new value that didn't exist before COVID in the same way that I think is, you know, and so that's why conferences that incorporate a fun element to it are actually valued even more, right? Because if I've been stuck at home, okay, I want to get out. I want to be able to have some fun, even not for business development. Maybe it's just for the culture of my, my company, my organization, that we have some fun together and build those relationships in a different way. Yeah, I think one of the funniest things I heard uh, repeatedly at the various conferences we've gone to is, oh, you're much taller than I thought you were, right? Because <laughs> we all look the same when we were doing this. But that that seems to be such a refrain. And it, it, but it's so much fun. It's like the, back in the days when we started using social media, people are like hugging and like, oh, I've only spoken to you, you know, via Zoom. And now we're reading for the first time in person. But boy, it feels like I know you already, right? Like, I hear that. I heard that over and over again at the conferences we've been in. It's great to see. But I I think, yeah, it is just because, you know, we're stuck at home now, right? Um, but I think to your point, John, I, you know, I, would, I do want to say it's not always about like throwing big parties and things like that, right? What you're talking about is to create a good experience, just be could be creating space, right? For people to meet, like having some couches around, right? Having just some green around or even, even labeling something as the meeting spot, right? Where people can go and say, hey, if you want to meet someone, meet here. Those are some of the small things that can help make your conference and help people connect, which let's be honest, that's one of the biggest reasons why people go is for the networking and to meet with their peers. So the more you can facilitate that along with your education, I think, and I think wisely, a lot of the in-person conferences we've going, we've been going to have been doing that. I was talking to a vendor at, uh, at the Vive conference about, uh, you know, hymns right after COVID, at the first conference after COVID and, and some of the plans they did and whatnot. And, you know, we talked about how many spaces there were for people to sit. And I was like, that was actually awesome. <laughs> I think conferences need to incorporate more of that where we can, to your point, sit down, have a conversation, meet someone new as well, you know, maybe get a little work done. You see, hey, what do you do, right? You start a conversation and, the, those types of things are invaluable. Absolutely. Well, hey, John, that's been fun today. Uh, it was really good to discuss the hit and misses with you. Yeah, who won the World Series? 
There you go. There you go. Hey, thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on social media using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.